Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a great decision to come here to church today. And it's so great because we are very, very blessed to be able to have so many decisions that we make in a day. But how many decisions do we actually make in a day? So even things like, I am going to brush my teeth today. All right, that's a decision. So I'll give you just a couple seconds. Think about that number. How many decisions do we make in a day? If this was kids' church, I would say, shout it out. But, you know, we're in big church now, so. We make 30,000 decisions in one day. Did that, is that about what you thought? Yeah, no. And uh, kids make about 3,000 decisions in a day. And if you're feeling dis- decision fatigue, now you know why. You know, we've got to decide we got to eat something. we got to decide how we're going to eat it, all this stuff. Do we want onions on it? Well, that, that's an easy decision. And no, no way. No onions. So many decisions to make. And then after a while, those decisions can become habits. And the problem is uh, we typically don't form good habits. All right? We, sometimes we get, most of us would admit that we have bad habits that we form. And I searched bad habits online and the first thing I found was this list of 179 bad habits. And I'm not going to read them all, but here's a few interesting ones that I found. Emotional shopping. Picking your nose. Checking your phone. Pulling out your hair. Only when I'm watching Cowboys play. Picking scabs. Drinking from the carton. Not holding eye contact. Just see who's looking away first. One-upping, gossiping, talking over people, finishing people's sentences, not sandwiches, licking your fingers, and not flossing. And of course, since I looked up on the internet, bad habits, I'm now getting all these ads on my Facebook on how to help with my bad habits. (laughs) So here's my new shock bracelet that I bought. It's great. Just kidding. And, you know, with those bad habits, it's crazy because it just, it just happens to be a part of our daily schedule. And we're, sometimes we get well aware of our bad habits, but we have zero desire to change anything about it. Let's take that last one for an example. Uh, not flossing. So let me ask the question. Should you floss? Yes, you should. Do you have access to floss? More than likely, yes. But will you floss? No. And... You know, we know that. We know that we should floss, but we just, we're not going to. But there's going to be consequences most of the time. You'll get plaque. You'll get cavities, tooth decay, gingivitis, tooth loss. All those things can happen. And trust me, I know. It, I didn't floss for a while, and it was very costly. I'd go up to the dentist. And, you know, they can be just so smug about things. You know, they, they ask you if you'd floss. They already know the answer to the question. So they say, oh, Mr. Davis. How's the flossing been going? When's the last time you flossed? I'm like, don't you remember? It was the last time I was here. You flossed for me. Don't you remember that? (laughs) But by the way, I do floss now because, you know, cavities, crowns, fillings, they're all super expensive, so I do floss. But that's about flossing. But what other habits do we have? What other good habits, bad habits do we have? And if we evaluated our lives and decided to change something up, what would it take to make that change? So this morning, I want to spend uh, the time looking at examples of Jesus, how, how he says that we should live, and how the different habits that we should have uh, from his teachings this morning. And we can discover the solution from the book of Philippians. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 is where we're starting. 
And uh, one of the things I like most about the book of Philippians is that it gives us examples of ways how we should live our lives and what things we can do if we want to imitate the life of Jesus. So going into the new year, what examples are we setting and what examples are we following and what changes do we need to make in order to make that next step to chair one, to chair two, chair three, or chair four? And this is the perfect time to make changes in our lives because we're coming up on a new year and it's very popular to set goals and to have those New Year's resolutions and do those things in our lives. And we say things like, you know what, I'm going to hit the gym this year. And I'm going to read the Bible this year. I'm going to read it the whole year, Take one, uh, read through the whole Bible. And we say these things, but then often we don't change anything up in our lives. We still have the same conditions from last year. It's only when you change your position, then you change your condition. I'll say that one more time. When you change your position, then you change your condition. So we're going to be talking about Paul today, and what better person to talk about when we're talking about change? Because if we go back to his life before his encounter with Christ and the Damascus Road, he was just, he was the worst. He really was. He was persecuting Christians. He thought it was the right thing to do, but then God came into his life, and then there was this obvious change that happened in his life. He began his ministry, and he served the Lord then. And uh, he was an encouragement to many churches with his letters today, and we'll be talking about his letter to the Philippian church and how we can learn from Paul and others to imitate their Christ-likeness. So we're in Philippians 2, but just to give you a little bit of backstory to bring you up to speed, we know that Paul is a changed man because of what God did in his life, and then he went on to share the good news of Jesus and to announce that Jesus is the risen Lord because of that. And because of all the stuff that he was sharing and because of everything that he was sharing about Jesus, he ended up in jail. Okay, And the crime that he committed was atheism and blasphemy. So in our culture, we would say, Paul ending up in jail because of talking about Jesus, that's kind of a silly reason to end up in jail. And I'm thinking, what would be the equivalent in today's terms? What's like a very silly reason to end up in jail? And I found the answer here in our very church office. So we do a lot of mail here. We ship a lot of mail. We get a lot of mail and the post office gives us these big tubs, these big containers to, um, to send and receive mail. And I want you to look at this picture here on the screen. Here's the side of it, and it says some stuff, but right here in the middle in the smaller print says, not for private use. It says maximum penalty for theft or misuse of postal property is a $1,000 fine and three years imprisonment. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? So can you just imagine, you go to jail for this, and then you talk to someone and say, hey man, what are you in for? Oh, I'm in for murder. What about you? I, uh, I stored some personal items in a, in a post office box, so that's why I'm here. Just, man, it does not make any sense. So that was a silly reason to be in jail, and that we think that it's a silly reason for Paul to be in jail for talking about Jesus. But back then, breaking those laws resulted in harsh consequences. Because it was tough to be in a Roman prison, but Paul considered himself blessed to suffer just as Jesus suffered. And his imprisonment even inspired other people to share Jesus more openly in the community. And it was a true representation of Philippians uh, 1.21 where he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he's either going to be present with Jesus, which is great for him, or he's going to continue to live on, and he's going to share Jesus with the community. So it's a win-win for him, but he wants to stay alive, and he wants to serve Christ by serving others. So that's where we are in the text in Philippians chapter 2, where he begins to share the example of Christ and truly how to make that a part of our lives. 
So if you're following along, it's going to be on the screens, and it's also, uh, if you're using the Red Bible in front of you there, it's on page 181 towards the back of the book if you want to follow along there too. But let me go ahead and read Philippians 2 and then 1 through 4. It says, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So for the first thing that we can notice from this passage, the first thing we can look at is that Paul gives the example and challenges the Philippian church to humility and unity. First, let's look at humility. It's important to understand what the Bible means by humility. It's not something that, oh, I think very lowly of myself, I think very poorly of myself. It's something that you don't think of yourself at all. And the truly humble person knows that. And it's kind of that grace that when you know that you have it, then you lost it. That's what the humility is. And it's someone that yields himself to Christ to be a servant, to use what he is and what he has for the glory of God and for the good of others. And others is the key idea that we're going to, look at, they're going to be looking at in this chapter. And the believer's eyes are turned away from himself and focused on the needs of others. And there's a level of submissiveness that one needs to have in order to have this humility and unity. And the submissive mind does not mean that you're at the beck and call of someone else all the time or that you're just some religious doormat for everyone to use. And some people try to gain friends or maintain church unity by giving in to everyone else's whims and wishes. And that's not what Paul's talking about at all here. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 puts it perfectly. It says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For there to be unity, there has to be agreement. And if believers cannot live in unity, then it discredits the transformational power of the gospel. It comes into question. And, you know, people might lose credibility, or the gospel might lose credibility because of that. So for the unity it talks about in verse number two, the Greek word that it uses here is describing the same attitude or mindset, which is the mindset of Jesus. And this points back to the letter's main purpose of encouraging the Philippians to stand firm together. And we can see that in chapter 1, verse number 27. And as I was reading this, I was thinking back to unity and what it meant to be a team, and I came back to football, okay? So I've been watching a lot of football this season, and yes, it's been disappointing. And as an added bonus, we got Disney+. Plus. And we got this Disney Plus bundle where you get Disney Plus, you get Hulu, and you get ESPN Plus. So after I'm done watching, you know, Tangled and Wally and all those good movies, I head on over to ESPN Plus and I can watch some shows about football. And there's this one show that I was watching and it was talking about Vince Lombardi. So if you don't know who Vince Lombardi is, he was this legendary Green Bay Packers uh, coach who won uh, five NFL championships and two of them being Super Bowls and he actually had the Super Bowl trophy named after him. So he was asked, what does it take to make a winning team? Here's what he said. He said, there's a lot of coaches with good ball clubs who know the fundamentals and have plenty of discipline, but they still don't win the game. Then you come to the third ingredient. If you're going to play together as a team, you've got to care for one another. You've got to love each other. Each player has to be thinking about the next guy and saying to himself, if I don't block that man, he's going to get his legs broken. 
I have to do my job well so that he can do his. The difference between mediocrity and greatness is the feeling that these guys have for each other. And that's got to be the same for the church. In a healthy church, each Christian cares for one another. And then when we take Jesus' claim to love one another seriously, that's when we contribute to a winning team. And that's what unity is all about. Let's read on in Philippians 2, uh, 12 through 18. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless, harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So first thing we need to address here, and it really pops out to me, is Paul says to work out your own salvation. And this is in verse number 12. And this working out cannot mean salvation by works, because we know from Ephesians that it is not of works, lest any man should boast. But it does mean that the believer's responsibility to pursue obedience actively. And uh, Paul's point here is that salvation, once received, must be put into practice through obedience. And to live like Christians, the Philippians had to have that attitude of obedience to God, because that is the evidence of faith in God. So God empowers these believers to live and faithful obedience to his will, and because the difference that God makes in our lives, we can be that light in a dark world. But some of the things that he's saying in this passage, man, it's, it's really difficult stuff to follow. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Be blameless, innocent, and without blemish, children of God. Hold fast to the word of life, which is the gospel. Paul knew that it was going to be tough, so he gives us four people who are examples worth following in this passage. And uh, in this first couple of verses in chapter 2, he talks about the perfect example, an example we all should strive to follow, and that's Jesus. Let's read verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2. And it says, uh, But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming to the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." So we all have goals this year, we'll all have resolutions, whatever it might be. One of the things we should all strive to do is to be more like Jesus. And in our Christian lives should be consistent with the good news about Jesus. And we can go on and on and on about the examples that Jesus gives us in his word about himself. He's, he was a servant, he was humble, he was obedient. But one thing that he was the perfect example of was looking to the interest of others even to the point of death when he died for the sins of the world on the cross. We see that in verse number 8. And then this sets up the next two examples that Paul gives us. And we can see those people. It's Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we, see, we can read in uh, chapter 2, verse number 19. It says, But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know, that you're, when I know your state. 
For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that a son with his father he served with me and the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how things go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And then this is about Epaphroditus. He says, Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you have heard he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because the work of Christ he came so close upon death, to not, not to regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. So the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to care for Paul while he was in prison, and now Paul prepares to send Timothy to care for the Philippians since he is in prison and cannot go himself. So Timothy is presented as an example who puts Christ and others ahead of himself. And Paul's description that he had a genuine concern for others, that it was just second nature to him. He had genuine concern and care for others. And then we see Epaphroditus, he risked his life to serve Paul in prison. He was going to deliver gifts and take care of Paul while he was in prison, but then something terrible happened, and he got sick. He was so sick that he almost died. And then when he got better, he continued to serve God by going back to Philippi, serving Paul by bringing him this letter of the Philippians that we're reading here today. And if there's anyone that has a good excuse of calling it quits, it's Epaphroditus. He could have said, man, I'm not feeling great. I almost died. I'm going to call it quits here. And, you know, I'm not going to do anything else because of my health. But uh, he didn't. He continued on. And he was faithful to continue serving in his role. And uh, believers who take risk for the gospel, man, they are just, they just deserve so much respect because they serve just as Christ served. And they were just a loving sacrifice just as Christ was. And Paul ended his chapter by commending the service of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And both of these men thought of others above their own concerns. And they both served the Lord and the church And Paul says that these kind of people are living, breathing examples of Jesus, and these are lives worth imitating. And then Paul talks about one last example, our last Christ-like example that we're talking about in this passage, is Paul himself. And we can uh, see this in chapter 3, verse number 7. It says, In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you, you yourselves are put off. Hang on. Okay, I'm ready now. All right, here we go. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet I indeed also count all things, for, all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means 
I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So people were stirring up trouble for Paul, and they kept reminding him of his own past when he was persecuting Christians. So it was something that he was having a hard time getting away from, but Paul had given up that life completely. And he says, whatever gain I had before Christ, I now count it lost for the sake of Christ. And he actually feels very, very strongly, because we see in verse number eight, he uses the word rubbish, okay? But then if we look at the Greek, he uses a different word, and the word there is dung. He uses the word dung. He says that all those things before Christ was dung. So I thought it was interesting because we often are kind of like Paul, and we use those kind of words to describe things too, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but some people didn't give Paul a chance because they knew his past, and they knew that, you know what, he was the same old guy. Ah, that's just the same old Paul. Don't believe anything that he says. You're no different. And as Jesus is making a difference in your life, it can be kind of disappointing because we're experiencing this change that Jesus has, but then those around us can be discouraging. Even those closest to us can be discouraging. And um, when we're having this change that Jesus is making in our lives. And people thought it was a ploy since Paul had been such a bad guy. So you, you expect me to believe that you've changed overnight, Paul? Well, yes, that's exactly what happened in Paul's case. In our case, I don't know about overnight, but the gospel has changed me, it's changed us just like it's changed Paul. And a lot of times we get so focused on our past, and it's important to reflect on the past, but if we're too focused on the past, we dwell on it too much, then we can miss out on God's blessings in the future or even in the here and now. And I've kind of felt this in a very small scale in my life. When God placed a heart, uh, call in my heart to full-time ministry, I had some people that weren't too sure about that. Uh, you know, I had a, this past of just being a jokester, someone that everything I said you couldn't take serious. Uh, but, you know, God placed this call in my heart, and I was expressing that I, I was going to go into full-time ministry, but then there were some people that were just like, ah, you know, that's, that's just old Brian, don't listen to him. But, I, man, I, it was kind of hard. I mean, it's easy for them because I want you to take a look at this video, and you tell me that this guy is going to be in ministry one day. Impressive, right? Yeah. It's crazy. It happened exactly right here 15 years ago, so... God works in mysterious ways. But yes, still got these two. It's good to go. <laughs> all right. So people said that it was impossible for Paul to change, but he gave that all, all up, become a servant like Jesus, to participate in suffering and sacrificial love. And in order to adopt these godly, healthy habits in our lives, we must set goals and we strive towards them. Let's read what it says in uh, chapter 3, verse number 12. It says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this passage is talking about pressing toward the goal. And one of the key words when it talks about it is press on, which means to pursue an active commitment uh, to the call of Christ. And we press on by forgetting those things which are behind us and reaching forward toward those things in front of us. So what is the goal? Verse 14 talks about the goal and the prize. Well, the goal is Christ-likeness here and now, and the prize is Christ-likeness in heaven. 
And Paul had reduced sanctification to the simple and clear goal of doing one thing, and that's pursuing Christ-likeness. So we're on the topic of good habits. So practically, these key characteristics that uh, we see here boil down to living in the Spirit, being a light in the world, and righteousness through faith in Christ. So how do we do those things? How do we start to become more Christ-like? Well, let's start with the obvious, but some important habits to adopt into our lives to become more Christ-like. And the first one we could talk about is prayer. Okay, We all know that we should pray. We all know that we should make prayer a daily part of our lives. But we might be tempted to ask ourselves, does it pay to pray? We might be tempted to ask ourselves that. But once we've already asked that, that's already the wrong approach to prayer. Because I could ask, does it pay to talk to my wife? And the answer is, of course it does. It absolutely does. If you don't talk to your spouse, then you're going to have some marital issues for sure. But do I talk to my spouse because it pays? Or do I talk to my spouse because I love her and it's out of love? And if we talk to someone because it pays, then we're already coming to it with a selfish attitude and selfish reasons. And um, sometimes I just have to take a step back when I'm praying to God and just say, am I coming to God right now because I love him or am I coming with selfish attitude and things that I want? And that's something that we need to do every day. We need to pray every day. In the book, Why Pray, um, it talks about, it uses the acronym of HOPE, which means makes, makes our home a house of prayer every day. So something that we can do, something that I do is uh, I use your, my notes app on my phone, and it's an easy thing just to have a prayer list. You update it. You can take some off. You can say they're answered, whatever it might be. You can update that, and uh, that's a great tool to use for prayer. And the next habit uh, to incorporate in your walk with Christ, as you could probably guess, is Bible reading. Now, it can be very hard to just pick up the Bible and choose a random spot and say, I'm going to read, I'm going to keep reading, and it can be very difficult. Even when we're intentional and we say, okay, I'm going to start in the New Testament, and then we get to Matthew chapter 1, and it just it looks like a phone book with all those names, and it's just like, it can be very difficult sometimes. But I have a great tool that I use for my Bible reading, and it's called the Bible Project. Some of you may have heard about this, but here's a picture on the App Store. It's called Read Scripture by Crazy Love Ministries. So if you don't have a Bible plan, I would totally recommend downloading this and making this a part of your uh, way that you uh, read the Bible. It's fantastic. It like groups together your reading. It has videos some of the times about uh, the books of the Bible and explains it. It's really, really good, and uh, I would highly recommend it. And it also gives you notifications you can set, I want to start at 7 a.m. each morning. I want a notification that says, time to read the Word. Um, but again, this is called Read Scripture by Crazy Love Ministries. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Just find something that works for you and uh, stick with it. And then ultimately, in order to make all of this a part of our lives, we have to set goals and be intentional, intentional about our uh, decision-making. So here are a few steps from this book that I read called Finish by John Acuff. And if you follow these steps, it's going to dramatically improve your ability to finish and finish your goals. So as I go through these steps, I'll take this common idea of um, a goal that I want to read the Bible in a year. Okay, so we'll take that idea and we'll run through these steps. So the first step is beware of the day after perfect. Beware of the day after perfect. So what is the day after perfect? So we're cruising along in our goal and then we miss a day and oh, our goal is no longer perfect. And there's something about that 
that makes us want to abandon ship and say, I don't want this goal anymore. But that's okay that it's not perfect, okay? We need to admit right now that our goals are not going to be perfect. And, you know, we're just so ready to quit after that day after perfect. But something, something about not being perfect just makes it, you know, just don't want to do it. Um, but one thing that we need to know, it's not supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be finished, okay? It's not supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to be finished. The second one, cut your goal in half, okay? Cut your goal in half. Think about the size of your goal. Goals that we share on Facebook and Instagram, and they're a lot of fun to say, most of the time, they're not really achievable, okay? We like to think big goals. We say, aim for the moon, because if you miss, you'll fall among the stars, okay? That's saying not even a little bit true. Not even a little bit. But we love to go big or go home with our goals. Oh, I, I want to run a marathon. Have you ever ran before? No, I haven't, but I, I'm going to run a marathon, why don't you just start with like a 5K, you know, only three miles, something like that, whereas, you know, we always want to go big or go home. You know, instead of reading the Bible uh, entirely in a whole year, maybe just read the New Testament, or maybe just take Paul's letters and just read through them. Or maybe if we're set on, we're going to read the whole Bible, maybe instead of uh, one year, we extend our timeline and do two years. That way, they're kind of cutting our goal in half there, but... Um, it's one thing to do is just to cut your goal in half, make it more achievable. Third one is choose what to bomb. So deep down, we hope that we can get it all done. We want to add, add, add everything to our list, and we think we can get it all done. Well, you can't, okay? And that's not failure, that's just reality. And there's a battle between shame and strategy. So shame tells you to keep adding task after task after task, and you can do it all, and then you'll collapse, Okay? But then strategy says, I'm going to choose what I possibly can't get done ahead of time, and then I'm not going to feel guilty about it. For example, when, so in my neighborhood, there's a lot of people who are retired, and they keep their yards perfect, okay? And especially during Christmas time, they put up some Christmas lights, everything looks so great on the outside, and it's just fantastic. Then you get to my house, and it's not that great. Uh, I mean, I keep the yard work up, but then, like, uh, the Christmas lights it didn't happen this year. So I, th- I thought to myself beforehand, I got all these things I need to do. It's a busy Christmas season. I got this new baby, and I got to choose something to bomb. So one of the things I chose to bomb was the Christmas lights. I said, I'm not going to put the Christmas lights up this year. Now, could there be shame if you're the only house on the block that doesn't have Christmas lights up? Yeah, there could be. But... If you're strategic about it, then you could choose to bomb it ahead of time, and then you don't have to feel guilty about it. So what can you bomb to accomplish your goal? Because you can't do it all. And then the last one is get rid of your secret rules. All right, this one, this one kind of pops up on you. Get rid of your secret rules. So when we make our goals, sometimes there's crazy rules that come along with them. And this is your goal, and you're the ones that are setting these rules but these, these secret rules pop up. For example, let's say that we have the goal of reading 100 books this year. I'm going to read 100 books. And then you want to also read the Bible. Well, the Bible is made up of 66 books, so that could count towards your goal. And then the crazy rule says, hey, that's cheating. You can't do that. The Bible's one book. It counts as one book. You're going to count it as one book. Who says? All right, this is your goal. 
oh, I know, I can read some novels because that would be fun and that would add to my... No, secret rule says, no way. You cannot read novels. That's fun. You need to read books that better yourself and that counts towards your total number of books. Well, who says? Oh, I know, I'm going to read audiobooks and that way because I like to listen and I can, I can read books that way and I can put it at 1.5 times speed and I'll get through the book faster. The secret rule says what? No! You have to hold a physical book in your hand for this to count, okay? It's, it's crazy. These secret rules pop up, but these are my rules because this is my goal. So I set the rules, and we've got to be careful of those secret rules that pop up. So there's more steps in the book, but you get the gist. These steps can work with any goal. You know, I want to lose weight. I want to run a 5K, 8K. I want to pray every day, etc. And we follow these steps, and these is how, this is how we stick to our goals. So there's, there's something about seeing something imitatable and then doing it. Uh, my daughter Lucy, she's two months now, and she's doing things that are imitatable. So she, it, we get down in her face and we open up our mouth, and then she'll do that too. And we'll stick out our tongue, and she'll do that too. It's super cute. But just goes to show you that it's just in our nature to imitate. We just want to imitate what's around us. And sometimes we imitate good, and sometimes we imitate bad. And oftentimes, once we follow that path, it's hard to deter from it. It's so easy to conform to our own schedule, our own comfortable schedule, or whatever society says is best for us. But Paul gives the challenge to the Philippians. It gives them Christ-like examples of how to live. And my question to you, and to me too, is what is God challenging us to change for this year? Because when you change your position, that's when you change your condition. So with God's help, we can put ourselves in to change things up uh, for the better. So why is this important? I mean, we only have so much time here, and we want to do things that will grow us to be an example of Christ, and that way it'll just be natural to share Jesus and to impact others. So let's go back to the flossing idea. Should you floss? Do you have access to floss? Will you floss? Let's rephrase that. Should you pray? Do you have access to prayer? Will you pray? Should you read your Bible? Do you have access to a Bible? Will you read it? And if we answered no to that, we have to change that up. We have to pursue that one thing that Paul talks about in uh, Philippians 3.13 when he says, pursue Christ-likeness. That's the goal, and we need to have those spiritual disciplines to have that talking relationship with God. And that's what I want to strive to be more like in 2020. You say, you know, I want to, but how? How do I break through this wall to have these godly habits and to actually make that a part of my life? And not just to be a checkoff box, but to form that close relationship with Jesus so much that we just can't imagine doing anything else with our lives. Well, here's how. Number one, everything I said for the past 30 minutes. Follow that. <laughs> and if you're zoned out or anything, you can go online and check out the podcast and recap anything you need to. Number two, ask God to give you a hunger for prayer and for his word. And sometimes it's just like, man, I really want to, but I'm just... I just don't have that desire yet. Ask God to give you that desire. Number three, we need to set goals, set godly goals. Number four, we need to be accountable to people. One of the things that I do is that I meet with a group of guys regularly, and we spend that time encouraging each other and working on our spiritual leadership. And the fact that I'm going to go meet with them really makes me want to stay on top of my goals because I'm going to have to get in front of them, and I'm going to have to talk about how things are going with me. And I want to make sure that I'm doing the things that I said I was going to be doing. 
And you might say, you know, I don't, I don't really know who I can talk to about this. I'm, just, I'm kind of feeling disconnected here. Well, number five, join an impact group. There's several to choose from, and it'll be really good for you. And, um, you know, just imagine what this would be like if this became a reality in our lives. But first, we have to take that first step. You ask yourself, is there something that's in my past that's controlling me and not allowing me to take a next, the next step? Maybe the next step might be to download a Bible reading plan like this one I'm talking about and you set your alarm for 15 minutes earlier in the morning or you set some time aside at night and you start at 15 minutes and then it grows to 20 minutes, 25 and, and more and keeps going. Maybe in order to pray more on your commute to work, you just turn the radio off and you just spend that time in prayer. Just you know, make sure your eyes are open if you're gonna be driving. Um, or maybe your first step, your next step is to be more forgiving. Forgive someone, let some stuff go. One thing I've learned is that forgiven people forgive. Jesus has forgiven me so I can go out and I can forgive others. Listen to this quote. It says, an unhealed person can find offense in pretty much anything someone does. A healed person understands that the actions of others have nothing to do with them. Each day you get to decide who you will be, which one you will be. Forgiven people forgive. So as we know from earlier, we are going to make 30,000 decisions today. And if we do the math, an adult will make 11 million decisions in a year. So one thing that we know is that our choices shape our lives. And when you change your position, that's when you change your condition. Let's pray, and we'll ask that we can be that Christ-like example of Timothy, like Epaphroditus, like Paul, and like Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this time that we had together just to reflect on your word. And God, we just pray for the strength to make these, um, make these godly changes in our lives. And we pray that the habits that we build and the decisions that we make will just bring glory and honor to you. And we thank you for these examples that you've given us in Philippians. But God, we thank you most for the, the perfect example that you've given us, your son Jesus. And God, help us to forget what lies ahead and instead move forward to what lies uh, forget what lies behind and instead move forward to what lies ahead and press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And God, we thank you so much for all you do for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.